What's going on, guys? Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Give me a second. We'll get started in a minute. I just reshared the link. If the sound is good, just give me a thumbs up. Phone is charged. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, dying again like last week. All right, cool. We'll get it started. Um, thanks for uh, joining me. Shout out to my partners at Call In. So for those of you that have been following me now, I've been I've been doing this for the last six months. Uh, originally, I was doing it one day a week, and now that the market is crap, going to do it three days a week. So I follow my Tuesday and Thursday streams with a brief call in. Uh, give you guys an opportunity to, to, after watching the streams, come on, ask questions, uh, discuss markets, discuss really whatever you want, again, outside of uh, politics and religion. But if things get boring enough, who knows, maybe we'll have to go down that route and uh, make things a little bit spicier. Um, but I don't think they're going to get boring. I think that, honestly, I don't even know why I just said that. Uh, it's going to be a, a good amount of volatility to go around for some time. <clears throat> considering we just had a significant change in market structure and uh, legacy markets are really thin. So when there's um, thin books and legacy, top of book liquidity is top of book depth. So best bid, best uh, offer in the S&P is as bad as it's really ever been in the last few years. Uh, that obviously translates to crypto beta and we get moves that are, uh, you know, quite significant. So, <clears throat> Um, yeah, before we get it started, uh, remember none of this is financial advice, just strictly for entertainment purposes only. Uh, it's Friday. So, you know, normally these last like an hour or two, but I'm going to keep this one short. So just everyone be mindful of everyone else's time. I don't want to keep you guys for too long. Uh, there's just a few things that obviously are worth briefly touching on. Then I'll, then I'll open it up. Um, first things first, there you know, nothing's changed. So you're going to get probably pretty sick of your Twitter feed because what you'll see is that there are people that have been just trying to call the bottom uh, for the entire way down. Um, and it doesn't make sense to call the bottom in Bitcoin unless you are by proxy calling the bottom in the S&P and calling the bottom in stocks. And since no one is good at doing that, uh, no one has made a career at calling tops and bottoms in equities. Um, it doesn't make sense to try to do that with BTC. It's much more volatile. It's, it is clearly, uh, highly correlated now. Um, if you think that the S and P's then, well, you know, imagine what is happening to crypto, especially after what we saw, um, last week with Luna UST and LFG, you know, that had, uh, that, there's some degree of contagion that spread through the market. Um, you know, maybe we'll see in the coming weeks if there are more people that were affected, more big names. But uh, yeah, things are, it, they're unpredictable. And it doesn't make sense to try to call a bottom. I mean, things are, it's just the market is continuously proving to us how bearish it is. Uh, and it's because, again, we're in a completely different regime now. You know, we're in a very non-accommodative environment. Uh, and when, you know, again, like I've said and try to clearly state before it's to drive this home when you have the largest buyer in the market suddenly become the largest seller 
right? Like, who are you to fade that? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the, the story of David Goliath, that's great. But, you know, in markets, you don't fade large players. You know, maybe on their own, you can, like, I'm not talking about, like, when you see, like, a, a big account on CT talk about where the market's going. Like, they're still a small fish when it comes to overall larger flows. So you just, you don't fade the Fed. And, and you know, this is really separating, I guess, the men from the boys. And it's because in crypto, there are so many new traders. And I don't mean that they're necessarily new, but, you know, I think that probably 90% of the people that you interact with on Twitter, in crypto Twitter, and for those of you that don't follow along with what I'm saying, because you don't, you know, you're not on crypto, you're not sort of immersed in crypto Twitter. Um, it is like a unique circle and, and it's mostly comprised of people that, you know, this is their first market. And it doesn't even matter if this is not your first market, because for most people that are under the age of, let's say, 30, um, no, let's just imagine that, yeah, let's say, you know, 30, yeah, most people that are under the age of 30, probably 35 even, um, have only been trading during one regime period and it's been one of qe you know the fed put you know the last 2018 we had a 21 percent move off the highs in the s p and the fed pivoted and we're not looking at that right now something much more drastic has to occur there's a lot of different forces at play context is completely different we have inflation through the roof that's the moan that's the main talking point you know we're just starting to get into hotter conversations about recession and sure enough, we're going into one. Um, but again, this is something that, you know, most people have only traded during a secular bull market. And crypto in its entirety has been in basically a, a secular bull market. So, you know, what do you know? It, it, when things drastically change, this is something that's new for most people. And you really only, I, I think that it's the people that are not having a hard time right now are people that had a background in TradFi or traded legacy or even new people that were really good traders, you know, in, in legacy markets. Um, I, I want to say that even if you're, if you don't qualify as someone who's been around the block or had a lot of trading experience, or even if you follow the right people from Fintwit, you know, some of the older guys that are like veteran traders, you know, one thing that they say is you just don't fade the Fed, right? That's something that's been driven home. It's, it's a cliche. And, you know, in my experience, cliches throughout life, they're, they are the eternal truths. And you just hear them so often that you begin to discount their worth, right? It's basically supply and demand of, of popular phrases and colloquialisms and, uh, you know, adages, right? They become cliche uh, because you're so, you hear them so often. It's like your entire childhood. You know, I'm, I'm in my late 30s right now, okay? I, you know, I, everything my parents ever told me when I was a kid turned out to be true. Everything that they repeated and hung on turned out to be true. Um, the small, silly stuff, the grand stuff turned out to be true. But you just have to go through it yourself, right? It's, most people need to touch a hot stove and learn by experience. And, and cliches are not enough. And, you know, again, uh, the concept of don't fade the Fed. Just one person in particular I could always think of saying this and, and defaulting to it is uh, is James Jude. So Jimmy Jude on on Twitter, he's an awesome uh TradFi guy, um, ex-CM uh, pit trader, and um, yeah, he has a wealth of knowledge, but it's always something that he said. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know what to do in this situation, you know, but I just know don't fade the Fed, right? 
you know, and this is in particular during the bull market when it's clear that you have like a backstop and you have the Fed that's at your, you know, that is acting as tailwinds. Right now, we don't have tailwinds. We only have headwinds. So you're just pissing in the wind. Anyone who just keeps calling the bottom on the way down, it's like, are you calling the bottom for the S&P? If you're not, right, then just like don't fucking waste anybody's time, right? Because we're all, everything is is tied to equities right now. And I've said for like the last year that crypto trades like tech. And, you know, I got like absolutely shit on for, for you know, by some people. Like, and it's mostly like crypto natives who think crypto is like really special. And yeah, it absolutely is. But hey, you know, when the evidence says one thing and the evidence is what moves your P&L, well, like how long is it going to take? How much hurt are you? is it going to require before you finally, finally start listening to that and saying like, okay, you know, the narrative is, you know, crypto is here to stay. You know, I believe in it. I see all these qualities in it, but the people that are selling the shit out of it right now clearly don't, and they're the ones moving the market, right? So let's at least wait for that to abate. Um, so the last week, retail got smacked. You know, we saw Target, Walmart, um, and then brings us to today, which was expected and not necessarily expected in terms of direction, but expected in terms of volatility. And I've said for the last week, as I mentioned this during streams, I mentioned this in a couple of uh, discords and uh, telegrams I'm in and I screenshotted that this morning conversation I had yesterday and I won't say who it was a response to somebody who's a well-known macro and crypto guy and I said you know we're going into OPEC so 1.0 trillion dollars worth of derivatives expiring today uh, so always a significant a significant event especially when you have a very you know large amount of capital going into this um, so going into that and I said into this, it doesn't make sense to really have any kind of like really solid views. Why don't we just wait for this to expire? Because into it, you might have certain flows that are, you know, they're um, derived from hedges being unwound, hedges being put on, certain gamma effects. But I think on the way down, it's like everyone wants the market to be bullish. So the popular narrative is, and yeah, it makes sense if it work, you know, if it happens to occur. The popular narrative is clearly, yes, puts are in high demand. You know, those puts, when they're sold by options dealers and writers, they have to hedge. You know, if 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 we're going into expiry and, and they're not in, expiring into money and, and then options writers are, you know, uh, unwinding those hedges, the unwinding of the hedges is basically just buying back futures contract, right? So that's going to give us some kind of tailwinds and we should bounce. Uh, that is like something that has been repeated all too often in this downtrend. And all that's happened is the market has continued to move down. So I think that uh, clearly it hasn't worked out favorably, even though from a structural standpoint, it looks like it should. Um, if anything, it's just, it's been very choppy. So no matter what, like today could completely resolve back to the upside, but I, I still won't really, and I, I said it, I won't be confident in direction going into it. I'd rather wait till after. So after today's session, you know, we have obviously futures open up on Sunday and, and since the correlation is there, you know, you can glean some information from that when, you know, the S&P or, you know, E-mini futures open up, the ES opens up on Sunday evening, just futures across the board. Um, and then Sunday, you know, Monday cash session, things start anew and we'll see, you know, because that uh, this will have been behind us. It's not like they're all, you know, unwinding, you know, they're being rolled into the next contract anyway. So Bitcoin uh, right now, the composite of the last six days have has proven to be quite valuable. Um, 
yesterday I said during a stream, you know, even when we were at the highs, this is not somewhere where I would want to long. I would want to wait and actually buy higher because we're still within a multi-day composite. And sure as shit, I didn't take the short. My execution in the last few days has been pretty crappy. And I say that because the execution has been crap. Um, and, you know, how I get into positions, right, getting slightly late, I ended up averaging down into the position originally that ended up popping up favorably and then exiting them too early. So I exited my long too early. I, I was talking about that on Twitter, you know, laying out sort of foundation, why I was setting up, you know, what areas I was interested in. And then I sold it, you know, for a couple hundred points. Uh, and then yesterday, moving into, you know, a pretty straight and violent move, not necessarily violent, but uh, a, a dead straight move into a composite value area high. You know, the level is held up to this point, you know, area where you could start to look for, you know, absorption, a loss of momentum, uh, you know, failed auction and so forth. And it, it's a great short opportunity because it's so well definable because on the flip side of that coin is I was saying that that was the area where I would want to get long. If we broke above 30,600, you know, we accepted above there, then then to me, that's a more attractive long. I'd said that I'd rather short if we popped up to 33, 34, but still that level did its job and we were still stuck within the range. And now we just covered all the entire range in one very swift move. So I'm just focused on my, you know, the levels that I drive very locally, um, not trying to take any big positions. I think that this thing is going lower. And I think that you know, that 200-day weekly moving average is an area where we could see a significant bounce. You know, not for nothing. And that's the first time I said not for nothing during this uh, call-in. And I think that would be a record because we're like, what are we, uh, 14 minutes in? Um, for those of you that follow me for a while, you know, I could get kind of redundant. I'll like cling to a phrase or cling to a word during a uh, try not to do it. But it's easy to do when you're not. It's easy to do this when you're just talking to yourself for an hour straight. When you pause during conversation, you have a little bit of time. And right now I'm just in like a, you know, I'm running the, you know, 400 constantly, stop, constantly, stop, constantly. So anyway, um, we're back uh, at, at what is larger range lows for, you know, going back to May 13th. If you're going by extremities, we're outside of value. You know, it's not looking attractive when we have equal lows the way we do. So I think that we end up. You know, if this doesn't act as support right now, maybe we get a rotation or attempt back into value and, and see whether or not we could accept back above 29.2, 29.3, back into value. I, I don't know. I mean, that seems a little hopeful right now. The S&P is, is still um, careening lower. And as long as the S&P moves lower and, and makes new ground down, I think your target is probably around 37 and then 34, 35. That window is 34, 35 is the most significant level. That's a prior year's uh, point of control. But um yeah, that's where we are. We're, we hit one year's point of control, last year's point of control. Now we're going down to the next. There's not much uh, between us and that. But for BTC, you know, locally, it still requires the S&P to kind of find the same support. But otherwise, I think that below 28 into that wick, you know, even if this was bottom, you don't just, absent a catalyst, absent any kind of crazy derivatives exposure, you don't get a V, a v reversal. So for us to put in the first day down, uh, you know, the first significant spike on the 12th and leave that wick, it's, it's more than likely we fill that out. You know, more than likely we fill that out, especially if we came back to it twice already. You know, in the, it, we came back to it on the 14th, we came back to it on the 18th, 
And those we already used up sort of our bounce, right? Our rejection from that extreme. And that's kind of what you would look at. Like, okay, we're approaching, same idea with single prints. We're approaching an area that really did not, was not accepting or accommodating of prices. You know, we should see that, hey, if there were buyers there, then we see the same kind of demand uh, upon a return. We've had a few returns now. So if, if we're going, we're probably going, I think, sub 28. And then I would want to see, you know, possibly another trap set up there. If we just continue to accept, and there's no crowding, there's no sign of, of any kind of, uh, you know, selling abating at all. Yeah, the next logical level is that, uh, let's see, hold on one sec. Let me just go to, I'm, I'm actually in front of the computer for this one. It's not, it's kind of a crappy New York day. Um, one sec, let me pull out the, and then I'll take a, I'll take a callers in a second. 200 day, fuck is it? Excuse me. Um, you know, the 200 weekly is around 22. Historically, that's been a really significant level uh, from dynamic standpoint, dynamic support standpoint. Listen, though, I mean, that's worked in the past. We're in a different environment right now where equities, like I said, the best way to describe it is they're careening into nothingness. You know, across the board, there's some really great signs, honestly, that you would expect to start building up uh, when we're approaching some kind of low. But it's really dangerous to time that without price actually doing anything to show that it's actually strong. So with people just shitting their pants and, you know, doom and gloom magazine covers and, you know, like the economists talking about, you know, food just being uh, extremely scarce, um, those kind of things like the opposite of them at highs, you know, the exact opposite, uh, stadium effect, you know, Barron's magazine cover, Time magazine cover, Sam on it. Those kind of things, yeah, they they tend to, you know, they occur during periods of massive, you know, shifts in emotions. So right now, massive shifts in emotion is clearly to the downside, but it's being rewarded. And clearly it's for a reason because price is moving down. It's when you start seeing these things add up and prices no longer continue to move down. And this is kind of the same idea behind like paying attention to positioning, right? You know, it's not just the market is really selling hard. Let's fade that. You know, oh, this is a ton of selling volume. Let's fade that. Or, oh, this is a ton of buying volume. Let's fade that. It's, oh, it's there's a ton of selling volume and no longer price is moving down. And the volume is still coming in. Now price is beginning to tick up. Or, oh, the inverse. There's a ton of buying come in, but suddenly the buying is having less of an impact on price. So you have to start seeing price actually respond. So price and volume, obviously. You know, price in this case and sentiment. So it's, it's for a reason, right? It's warranted. Like the market looks like shit. You know, economies are in really poor position. Uh, in terms of commodities, inflation, um, you know, the price of food, the shortages of food, the shortage, you know, now the United States shortages of baby formula, monkeypox, right? So um, I don't know. I just, I wouldn't try to catch a falling knife. There are areas that I'm, I'm interested in. At 20K, all 18, 19, all-time high, if we break below t- the 200-day, the 200-day has been respected, 200-weekly has been respected forever now, but it's a, it's a, you know, a sample size of two. If we lose that, just remember, nothing has to be in stone, right? The prior all-time high never breaking. Well, we also never lost the 200 weekly. So if we lose the 200 weekly and we don't see that we really find a turning point there, and it would be great if the SP did that too, right? If the SP found its footing. If that doesn't happen, like the idea that we can't go back into prior structures, it's baseless, right? Because the only base actually in terms of volume and participation, where you would expect, if you were looking at this on a five-minute, a five-month, or a five-year, 
the only area where there's a ton of, and I just mean in terms of a chart that looked like this, the only area that you would all agree on looks like a really solid support is all the way back down around 1213. So, you know, if we start losing things that we shouldn't lose and you have the all-time high ahead of, you know, for, and let me recommunicate this clearly. If we lose the 200 weekly, right, and there's no support there and we're just breaking to the all-time prior all-time high, just, I don't know. I would not want to just knife catch that, right? Because that is not a significant level. That level was put in on fumes. That was a, an exhaustive blow off top. That's not a level that was like built up over time. That didn't do anything on the way up. It wouldn't do anything, in my opinion, on the way down. Unless it was being acted on like, you know, sort of a psychological level and, and people really defended it because of that. But if equities were doing the same and equities drop, you know, the drop to the prior all-time high right now is 30%. 34, 30%, whatever, somewhere around there, right? If the, if, if the S&P drops to 32, we're there, all right? If honestly, so normally, and I'll, I'm sorry, I'm going on, but I'll open it up in one second. The Bitcoin and S&P relationship is like three to four, multiple three to four. But even if we're going to say it was two, that's the last example. That would be conservative. So what I'm saying is the reality is, if the S&P drops 10%, you usually get a 30% correction in BTC. So if the S&P goes down to 3,400, that implies if this relationship stays the same, the relationship of beta, right? And there's no reason why it should change in a market that is continuing to nuke lower, right? If the S&P is really shitting the bed, it's not going to suddenly change. It's going to It's going to more than likely get worse, right? So it's sort of like there's a degree of convexity to it. Um, if the S&P drops 10%, Bitcoin's dropping 30, and that puts us down at 20K. So, you know, you do the math, right? Nothing is impossible. And it's important to know sort of these relationships and how they, how they, um, how they change as we move up and as we move down. So anyway, let me open it up. I went on for like 22 minutes, and I apologize, but uh, I think it was necessary. So Yu Yang, let me open it up to you. Hey, hello. Uh, hello. Thanks for letting me Hey, what's show. going on, man? I appreciate it. No, I just appreciate it. Hey, you know what? Uh, I got a question, and uh, I'm sorry if it, you know, maybe sounds kind of stupid, you know? Uh, but, uh, you know, just, uh, I, I appreciate, you know, uh, let me let me ask my question. Uh, so, you know, it has to do with, like, Bitcoin mining, okay? I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't know that that's your area of expertise, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts about it anyways, you know? Um, so with Bitcoin mining, I, I remember when I first heard about it, uh, I thought that, wow, you know, like Bitcoin uses so much energy, right, to, to mine all the Bitcoin for the whole system to work. But now that I've kind of thought about a while, this is where my stupid question comes in. I wonder if that's actually to its, um, it's like, it's like an advantage, right? And, and like, look, I, I, I don't really know a lot about that stuff. So tell me where I'm, you know, I'm off or whatever, right? So like, you know, a lot of people, because a lot of uh, like people like Bill Gates, they talk about like how there's no inherent value in Bitcoin. Like where's the value coming from, right? So that's why they don't invest in it or they say they don't invest in it, right? But I'm starting to think like with all the Bitcoin, all the energy that's put into Bitcoin, I wonder if like the, 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 the energy put into Bitcoin is really giving it, it some value, right? Because every Bitcoin now represents all the energy that's being put into like, you know, making it work. Or, or does that make no sense at all? Uh, am I, am I, am I off on that? Or can you, can you tell me where? I'm no, I mean, there, 
that's like I'm, I'm sure that's one way that someone would is would you know attribute some kind of value to it. It has been called energy by you know the likes of Michael Saylor. You know, a lot of people have called it energy before, and that's really what I think. That's in like a deeper philosophical sense, money, any form of currency is the form of energy, right? You know, you're storing energy to use it somewhere else in a productive mean. And whether that product, you know, whether that productive mean is to invest in other things that lead to, you know, invest in productive assets lead to other things. Uh, I don't know how far I would go because in, in terms of uh, trying to um, make a case for the, you know, the energy going into mining leading to Bitcoin having some kind of intrinsic value off that alone. I'm right. not like, like you prefaced it, I am, this is not a conversation I am even equipped to have. Um, <laughs> if I felt like I needed to just say something, I suddenly would sound like such a moron because I, I'm not uh, very, I, I'm not very versed in, you know, the Bitcoin mining um, landscape or, or field or, you know, competitive nature. I, all I know is that just similar to, you know, mining in, in other industries, when we do have periods where, you know, we see that the profits that miners turn out um, become smaller and smaller. You get sort of that washout of the miners that are equipped to mine during times like this and the miners that are not. And, you know, ultimately it becomes like survival of the fittest with miners. Right. So during the bull market, like every I can't tell you how many people I know that honestly they got into mining. And they put money into mining that they should have just put into the cryptocurrency. Like I had friends right. that like mined Ethereum. And I'm like, dude, like if you just buy Ethereum, mm -hmm. it one, they were they, you know, they'd probably outperform in the next two years by miles rather than actually trying to mine Ethereum. And two, as like as price drops, it's much more competitive, right? You suddenly you're fighting for margins. So, you know, just from that, like just basic knowledge and how that works. That's all I can really say. And that's not really, that obviously doesn't answer your question. Um, but yeah, it's not my, uh, it's definitely not my forte. I definitely don't know enough about mining and how that really impacts much. So. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I just, cause uh, I, I know, I know way very, very little about any of this, right. Uh, whether it's the, the trading or the, the mining part. And it's just something kind of like one of those kind of random thoughts that came in my head. And I, I try to research it, but I couldn't find anybody talk, talking about this topic. It's just a lot of it just talk about how like how uh, Bitcoin, you know, or cryptocurrency uses a lot of energy. And I guess kind of related to that, and I just get off after this, but like kind of related to that is like, is it with, with Bitcoin, like the mining algorithm, like would it benefit Bitcoin if they made it more efficient, right, to mine, right? Like would it somehow like if they kind of use less energy, would that increase the value of Bitcoin in some way? I guess I don't know. And that's kind of just, kind I of think, well, I so I think that I think what I could say about that is if you just consider like how, so Bitcoin's having is unique, right? And this is like where the stock to flow model comes in, even though the stock to flow model completely leaves out demand. Um, the, or just assumes a, a like consistent level of demand, but um, Bitcoin is unique with the having because in, in like, for example, if you just consider like gold mining, so, you know, miners mine gold, right? There's, there's, you know, a certain amount of gold that they mine. They dump more gold on the market. Suddenly gold becomes, you know, there's more supply, right? So this, this overall leads to prices coming down. Um, and the, uh, the miners that can no longer, you know, turn over 
you know, can, can no longer deal with marginal profits end up going out of business to some degree or cannot compete, right? Because what happens is there's, you know, there are, there's a certain amount or there's, I don't want to, I don't want to, this is going to sound funny because there's not like, uh, gold is not that scarce, right? Right. We're, we're on the same page. Right, 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 uh, right. There is, you know, it's not same, the idea behind like diamonds being scarce, but there's a boom bust due to the fact that, yeah, at some point there's a lot of miners that come into the market, they mine the shit out of gold. Then there's a lot more supply, right? So the price of gold drops. And then the miners that can no longer deal with the margins and deal with the drop in prices, they end up going out of business, right? So then there's, a, there's less gold on the market. And this whole boom bust begins to proceed from that or rather continues from that. That can't happen with Bitcoin because th there isn't sort of as they as you know, there is no way to how do I describe this for that phenomenon to occur because of the built-in, uh, I guess, the built-in mechanism in which Bitcoin is mined. So, but again, I don't know. I cannot talk deeply about this. I will end up sounding like a moron. But that boom, <laughs> that boom bust phenomena does not take place in with Bitcoin, whereas you'll right. see it take place in, in like normal commodities. I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, that, that's interesting. I, I didn't think of it that way. And I agree with you. Like uh, the, the gold is not really real scarcity. It's kind of like made up scarcity, you know, whereas Bitcoin. Yeah. I guess because algorithmically it is just fixed number of like, you know, what is like 20 million or something like that, right? You can only cap it at a certain amount of coins and that's it. So yeah, 21 okay. million. 21 million. Ah, see, there you go. I had it off by one million. <laughs> uh, oh, actually, no, since I don't see another call, I just ask another quick question, right? But then I'll just get off so people can jump in. Um, of course. Like, I, I just, I, you know, this is, like I have a lot of these kind of thoughts, you know, so I'll, I'll run it by you. I was wondering, like, what's preventing, like, the U.S. government from just buying, like, 2 million Bitcoin? Because clearly U.S. government is just, like, printing cash anyways, right? Like, why don't they just do that and then just, like, hey, if it works, then the U.S. government is going to have, like, 2 million Bitcoin in the future? Like, why don't they do that, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, <laughs> oh, crush, like, crush, right now, that's, oh. like, 58, that's, like, 58 billion, 58 billion dollars. <laughs> um Right. You know, they already have a good, they already have a lot of Bitcoin from the Bitcoin that they have that's confiscated. True, uh, true. You know, whether or not that's going to stay with them or somehow be, you know, given back to the original rifle owners. Well, you know, who knows? Um, I, I would say it's probably more likely that the people, you know, that that stays with the government. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's uh, they 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 tend to throw like the United States throws money at a lot of things that right. would seem kind of ridiculous. Um and like not to open up conversations too far outside of crypto, but, you know, every other month there's something that the United States spends money on that we literally can go, you know, can hold up to something else that's an issue and say, oh, that would kind of, you know, that would have fixed, uh, you know, the hunger in <laughs> such and such, or that would fix healthcare for this many years. Right. So clearly uh, there's an issue with how the government spends money. Um but uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, that would be that would be something that would be very hard to keep secret. <laughs> um, True, so like yeah. the Federal Reserve or central bank picking up crypto, um, that kind of buyer would have a material impact on price. Like if, if how that would have to be, you know, accumulated in such a tactical fashion, um, because if they said something along the lines that they were buying Bitcoin or central banks were buying Bitcoin, that would lead to, that would lead to a candle that I, I don't even know if it would be, I don't know if it'd be like a 30% instant one minute candle or 50% instant right. one minute candle. 
but it would lead to a, a massive rush through a narrow door. Um, and that's like one thing you have to remember, like Bitcoin is because it's a uh, low supply, it's, it's a low float because it's not like there's 21 million available to buy. There's only a certain amount ah, of exchanges. Right, right, right. True, so true. that is very low. So it's really low float. So anyone who comes into the market that's big has a, you know, a, a material impact. Um, and at a fraction of that, you know, let's say, like you said, if they were going to buy 2 million Bitcoin, uh, so 2 million Bitcoin would lead to, a, and you could, you could look at and get kind of a rough idea of, of what kind of impact that would have if you looked at all the exchanges market depth, because you could see how much it would be required to sell or to buy to move price a certain percent. So it's not like the best indication because market depth is never static. Um, but you could get like a rough estimate like, oh, there's, you know, between here and um, 10% lower, it would take just kind of, I'm, I'm just riffing. It would take a uh, billion dollars worth of BTC to be sold to move us 10%. So you could begin to sort of get a rough estimate of how much impact that would have on prices. And that would be absent any kind of knock-on reflexive sort of effect of people also knowing that. Uh, so I don't know. I don't, you know, there's like a bunch of people that think eventually the United States will have to do that. You know, they'll have to adopt it. And, and there's a game theory perspective here too, that, you know, even when you don't believe in something, you pr it, something as this polarizing as crypto, uh, even if you don't believe in it, it kind of makes sense for you to own a little bit of something you don't believe in just in case you're wrong, right? You kind of like hedging your bet in a sense. So, this is uh, the argument that a lot of people make for asset managers and people that are really cynical and, um, you know, stuck on the whole stigma of crypto, like old school, uh, old school view on it is even if you don't believe in it, like as a portfolio manager, as a, you know, an asset manager that is like really ensuring, I guess, all outcomes, why not own a little bit of it? Just sort of like a call option that you pay a small amount potentially for a much, you know, more asymmetric return. And even if you don't believe in it, you own it because God forbid you're wrong. Like you don't have to go back to your investors and say that <laughs> you didn't uh, capture at least a sliver of this. But yeah, about the United States buying Bitcoin, I don't think we're looking at that in the near future. They're, they're happy to tax things, right? If they don't make something illegal, it's because they realize they could tax the shit out of it. So all right. Well, you know what? Uh, you kind of answered my question. I kind of, I kind of had the same thought as you. It's like, you know, why not just uh, hedge the bet, right? Fifty-eight billion sounds like a lot to me, you and I, but I don't know how much the U.S. spent just on the the pandemic the last two years. I heard it's like a trillion dollars or something like that. Yeah. I don't know the numbers. I don't yeah. know the numbers as well you do, but it's like it seems like a drop in a bucket when compared to a trillion dollars. Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like this is kind of a joke. But it's kind of like when the Fox signed the Tom Brady to like three hundred seventy-five million dollars. They can afford it, right? Right. Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I, I, I'll get off. Um, I'm getting kind of long here, so people can jump in. Uh, thanks for answering my my kind of silly questions and uh, taking it seriously. Thank you so much. No, no, happy to. Thanks for taking <laughs> my answers, even though they're kind of uninformed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, thanks. Have a good day. Bye, bye. Thanks, man. Have a good weekend. All right, who else wants to hop on? Oh, so what I was getting at earlier, and I was getting kind of a uh, tongue-tied because I was thinking about, as I was describing it, thinking about uh, how I don't know a lot about Bitcoin mining and the me and sort of the mechanism that takes place. Um, obviously, you know, I know what miners do, but the boom bust that say, let's you know, say for example, takes place in like the gold market. You know, you have 
you know, suddenly this rush to, to mine, and this is oversimplification, you have, you know, rush to mine something, a rush to get a lot of it to market, to obviously sell, you know, the more people that you have mining, the more gold you're clearly going to put on market when there's more supply, right? There's obviously not like there's an increase in demand. So as that increased supply floods the market, you know, the price of, of gold eventually meets sort of, uh, you know, uh, peak altitude before coming back down. And then the miners that are sort of undercapitalized and, and not as equipped to handle lower prices that had more recently get involved, um, you know, and again, you have to have certain infrastructure. And again, just oversimplifying this, they get washed out, right, because they can no longer compete um, at uh, any kind of retracement in prices after the initial, uh, you know, after that, that boom. So there's this sort of boom bust that, again, oversimplification of it, uh, but it doesn't that there is a built-in mechanism that ensures that this doesn't take place with BTC. And, and you know, the most significant aspect of that is the halving. So let me open it up to N. Hey, what's hey, going what's on? Coming? Hey. Uh, hey, how's it going? Good. It's going good. I was listening to your stream yesterday and I saw you had the top of your, I don't stop me if you already talked about this. I jumped in late, but, um, the top of your channel was at about 3,800. I was wondering if you, if you caught that pop, that wick and then, uh, shorted down to, down to where we are now. Oh, so the composite and it was around uh 30,500 area. Uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was uh, the last sort of five, six day composite. And I posted last night about this, how I've been trading like shit the last two days. And I've had the ideas, the setups and the execution and the maintenance of the positions has been crap. So when I longed originally underneath that structure, uh, anticipating that it was a trap and we were going to reclaim within there and, and just go back within the range and sort of do what we did for the last five days. What I was saying yesterday during the stream was, and it was kind of like as it was happening, that we are at the top of that channel, right? We reached the top of that multi-day composite. So I was no longer willing to long. And I said, from a risk reward standpoint, it would be a much more attractive short. But I was actually at that point, I was, cons- I was looking for the longs rather than the shorts because I thought we might have more of a squeeze. So what I said was, the channel, since we are at the top, this is no longer a place I want to long right here. I'd be much more comfortable buying slightly higher if we accept above 30,600. Or I was looking at a pullback somewhere between the current day's view op that wasn't tested um, and also the lower portion of the channel. So this was like, I think this is around like 29.4, 29.6. So I was kind of prioritizing that and wasn't focusing on you know, the, the lack of momentum and the uh, absorption at the highs. I initially saw it, but I figured this might be one of those that because of this sort of turnaround and the way that we move through the range pretty violently um, could give us a much larger squeeze up and maybe I'll short from higher. And one thing led to another and I, I never got around to, uh, to putting on a proper position. So just to reiterate, you know, what I said yesterday or last night, I was like, my ideas were there. Like I had all these setups, but that setup, I just let that go. I wasn't prioritizing the short side at all. Not right there. Um, and the long earlier from the lows, I just cut way too early. I cut it after like 
three or 400 points. Um, and that's because I just, I don't know. I don't want to, in this environment, I don't like to sleep on positions and I, I don't like to let stops get hit. I mostly just pull myself out of positions when they start going against like the, the areas that I think they should continue to hold. So no, I didn't short it, but it was like, in hindsight, it looks like one of the sexiest shorts because there's a really clear divergence in momentum at that level. And you had a significant increase in open interest. And this morning uh, I ended up catching a decent, ETH short um, as we were breaking down, but nowhere, uh, nowhere near like the high of the channel. I started flirting with trading uh, the short that I placed with ETH. I started placing that around 20, uh, 2028. So that was like well off. BT, I was kind of using Bitcoin as proxy, like it was at it's the high of its channel. But yeah, I was late. I was late to uh, to getting behind these moves and to even addressing that original Bitcoin short. So I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you said you wouldn't you wouldn't really look to be long now with this um loss of momentum. Like has that changed at all? Are you looking to get long now that we're at the bottom of this kind of channel here? No, so I uh the just to be like the levels that I look at are a little bit tighter than like I know that and I'm yeah, I mentioned it in the beginning of the stream. We're kind of like we're still within a range, right? Because if you look at the extremes, um so I probably said this in the first five minutes of the column, but like you said, you're a little late the extremes of this range, they're a little bit lower than the channel I focused on. So I was focusing on where value was. So if I'm looking at a TPO chart, this is how I get that level. So the levels that I was most interested in were between 29.2 and up to 30,005. Uh, I know that the range goes down to where we are kind of right now, which is like 28, seven, 28, you know, six, this, this region of the 14 low, the 14th lows and the 19th lows. Um, I, I, personally because of the way we pop back into the range and lost it by barding back down. Honestly, from here, I, I would anticipate that unless we accept back within 29.3, 29.2, that we, we probably roll further down because we have kind of equal lows right now. Um, and it would be pretty uncanny of us to, to not take any of these lows. So for example, what I mean is like the, the low off of the 14th, so that is, uh, we'll say 28,624. And then the next low is on the 19th, that's 28,644. So it's marginally higher. It would be really weird for us to, at this point, not swipe those lows um, and not plunge a little bit lower. So I'm, I'm looking for this to kind of fade again. So maybe it pokes slightly back up towards that 29.3, 29.2. Um, or maybe we just continue to puke and it, it all depends on the S and P though. Right. I mean, if the S and P pops up here hard, like the levels that I have are useful for me and that I could define risk off of them, but they don't have to mean anything. Right. At the end of the day, like they could just, we could nuke them to the upside and things could change really quickly. But <clears throat> no, I'm not, um, the only places that I would long right now are just to give you sort of a, a setup are if we reclaim 29, three, and we are selling that level and it's clearly we're holding it because at that point, the move down was, there was really nothing between. That's kind of a gap. And we, we tend to cover those pretty quickly if we re-accept back within them. And this day that we're forming is form, it's kind of forming the way that if we move sideways slightly longer and then opened up in tomorrow even in this region, it would leave a double distribution. And that 29.3 threshold would leave a pretty significant gap cover ahead of us. or I would long if we broke below 28. 
So I, I start not not necessarily that I would long, but I would look for longs below 28. Otherwise, I don't really uh, I don't want to get involved kind of where we are right now. So. Gotcha, man. Thanks a lot. You got it, man. Christopher, what's up, buddy? Repeat guest. Yes, all good here. All too good as well. Nice day in the market. <laughs> yeah, how's it going? Good, good. Anyway. Yeah, had a really good day today. Tortured at the top in the morning and then in the afternoon also. Uh, nice. Took one on Mana and KNC. So, yeah, nice day overall. Fun complaint. Hope you had also. Thank you. But, uh, I had a question, like, I don't know if you answered it already, but uh, all tech is the uh, renewal of different uh, options, right? Yeah. What was happening today, a lot of option expiration. And you said that after today, this would have more of an effect. So how do you think this will affect it going forward? Do you think a lot of people will have more of a negative outlook on the market? And how will this affect us as... Uh, traders possibly well what i mean by it having so what i meant was going into opex you have a lot of flows that are due to no it's okay going into opex like during opex you have a lot of volatility and where you have sort of the conditions for a lot of volatility because you have a lot of flows that are due to those options unwinding and, and options hedges unwinding and certain gamma effects that occur i, I what i meant was not that it's going to give me any kind of directional clarity right now, but at least when it's behind us, we know that whatever activity we're seeing in terms of act, you know, actual flows and equities um, is not going to be just due to this sort of uh, describe it like an aberration, right? So today, it's almost like even though we've had a move down today, for example, a lot of these movements are due to OPEC. So it's kind of like I take them sort of with less... Uh, like more of a, it's a phrase that we use here with more of a grain of salt, like not as significant, maybe not as uh, important. And once it's over, then I would be more prone to sort of giving weight behind any trend. So what that meant leading into this, because we were sort of bouncing was, yeah, maybe we are bouncing, but I'd rather wait till Monday to see that the trend is still strong and still, you know, buyers are still interested. Otherwise, maybe this bounce was due to hedges unwinding before because those hedges for puts are selling. They involve uh, options, writers and dealers selling futures contracts. So if they're unwinding their hedges, they're buying. So it could have been that the bounce was due to those flows. So my point was anything that happens today and leading into it might not be worth really putting much or giving much weight to. And anything that comes out of this might be more, you know, worth more, you know, will would be worth paying attention to more because, again, it's not being sort of exacerbated by OPEX-related flows. Um, so that's what I meant. Not that, like, it's going to be either, it's going to tell me whether or not we're going up or down, just that I know after this is over, whatever happens is, I guess the best way I could describe it, might be more honest move. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So cool. kind of if we continue the trend on Monday, we'll have some more clarity. As yeah, like let's say Monday we have a strong open in equities and we see that equities are remaining bid and, and you know Bitcoin is behaving relatively the same and now we've had multiple efforts at the lows. Then, yeah, then I'd be like, okay, this is, this is not necessarily the most attractive last week or two, but bottoms never really are attractive. 
and maybe we have, and I'm not saying bottom, like the bottom, but maybe we have a, a, a bear rally ahead of us, right? So some kind of brief rally over the coming week or two. But that, you know, that's starting to uh, try to predict too much into the future. We'll just see what Monday brings and, and whether or not uh, there's any strength come Monday. I was already short. So remember when we talked, it was either yesterday. Well, I've been short mana for the last, I feel like for the last week now. So I got in mana and I shorted mana from, I think it was 124, maybe up to 130-ish. Uh, and I haven't messed around with that position. That was the only, because I mentioned uh, that there's a lot of jump risk in alts. But I thought that right off of the lows, how I filtered, you know, how I filter for alts, that mana performed so well that it was going to be a, the more attractive fade. So I've already been in mana and uh, I don't see any reason to really adjust. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Hope you have a fantastic evening. Uh, you too. Good talking to you again, Christopher. Yeah, that was, uh, I don't know, Christopher, if you used um, a different microphone, but you were a little bit, you were a little bit low. I see that Yu Yang said that he couldn't really hear you either. All right. You know, these are good now. I like them. Uh, not patting myself on the back, but I'm just looking at um, the uh, participation and, uh, yeah, the amount of people that are showing up. So this is good. And I'm sure it has to do with being more consistent because that helps everybody, obviously. All right. Dwight, what's up, man? Hey, what's going me? on, yeah, I can hey, yeah, that. sorry. Cool. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Had a quick question. Um, just uh, wanted to know kind of what tools you uh, use for looking at where um, leverage was tagged on. I've been trying to use high block lately, but uh, yeah, just, just kind of general question. Is that something you look at, you know, where there might be fuel for a squeeze one way or another? And um, yeah, what tools have been best for that? So I don't really, <clears throat> I don't use high block. Um, I think high blocks like a little too proprietary for me. I don't know exactly what goes into calculating their leverage levels or their liquidation levels. And I think it also kind of operates with uh, a decent amount of assumptions that I don't know if I'd necessarily want to make. I, what I do to look to identify whether or not something might have like more fuel than, you know, maybe where one area might have more fuel than another is I look at open interest and relative change in open interest to price. So, you could look at open interest to see, you know, how many contracts notionally have come in. And just looking at price, you might see something like the best example I could give you is like, let's say you have like a like this morning was actually a really good example with BTC. So before this big wipe um, and I shared this on uh, I shared this in a discord. Maybe I'll post it on the uh Maybe I'll post it on uh, Twitter to show you guys what my thought process was. Let me go back to the post. This is in a very small Discord. I don't want to blow it up by saying anything. But this morning there was, um, we, we were, oh, hold on one sec. Uh, I said, just looking over at price, there looked like there was about 6 to 7K Bitcoin put on in the range with no, no real material change in price. During that, funding was drifting slightly higher along the way. And uh, Coinbase CBD was pretty, pretty strongly upward, but price had moved up at all. So there's a couple things to go over in what I just said, or what I, I said that a couple hours. This is well before we broke down. 
Um, and I still didn't take the short in BTC. But one thing I look at is, okay, so price action, right? You have a series of, let's say you have a range. Like this morning was a good example because we had a move through value yesterday, strong move, and then we basically just flagged. So when I was looking at it this morning, price was basically, at the time, it was around 30000 This was like 30300 And the original high from the move up was around 30,300, 30,400 also. So we're basically at the same level of price and and we're basically at the midpoint of the range. We had one big spike up um, that took us to like 30,700. We had a spike down below the range that took us down to 29,800, but we didn't break down. We just continued to move back up, but we were still sideways. Um, And during that sideways period, even though price hadn't done anything materially, it just moved sideways overall, open interest went up a lot. So what this means is that a lot of activity came into the market. A lot of new positions were added, but for those new positions, there was no real material change of price. So that on its own doesn't tell you a whole lot because it just means that, you know, there's, there's a counterparty for a buyer and there's a counterparty for a seller and it's the opposite, right? So if you're an aggressive buyer, you have, you're buying into a passive seller. If you're an aggressive seller, you're selling into a passive buyer. Most of the time, those are going to be market makers. You know, a good amount of time, obviously, it'd also be someone who's actually providing liquidity and, and getting involved, you know, getting into a new position that way. But when price is moving sideways, it's like, well, all we know is there's a lot of fuel, right? If we start moving away from this area, you know, through one extreme, the more the open interest had increased, the more likely it is that that move is going to be violent. But in this particular range, the way that you could say that, for example, well, maybe it was longs or maybe it was uh, shorts. And just to clarify, it's not that it was longs or shorts and that's it. It just means maybe there were more aggressive longs or more aggressive shorts is by looking at something like either funding or CVD or basis, you know, uh, premium between perp and uh, spot. And in this case, during this period, there was absorption on CVD. So Delta showing that uh, buyers were being absorbed. And there was also um, a drift up in funding over the course of this range. So what you could begin to parse together is, all right, so price moved up a lot. A lot of people came in after it moved up, you know, to the tune of this was this was around. Let's just let's just say it was back like back of the envelope math. We'll say it was around um, 6,500 BTC added. And this is between, let's say, 29,000. So there was like 194 million contracts added, but price didn't go anywhere. And by looking at funding, you could see that, well, you could start to maybe glean that, oh, well, maybe a lot of this was late longs, right? So you start to, be, start to, begin, to begin to build a thesis for longs being late and therefore being trapped. And, you know, outside of 1%, 2% of this range, you're going to start hitting those liquidations and you're going to start forcing people out of position. And as we move down and you don't see any kind of material impact on uh, on OI. So as we began to break down, OI didn't really go down yet. So you could start to think, you know, you could start to be, you could begin to think, all right, you know, tell your, it's, it's dangerous to tell yourself a story like this because it's operating on assumptions. But all right, so these late longs that got involved, even though we moved down, OI hasn't changed yet. So they're underwater now. And they haven't even really puked yet. So this move is going to be, it's going to be bigger than what we have so far. So, and that was, uh, that was right around 30,100. We started breaking down, but there was no change in open interest. Um, 
But it's by piecing all those together, honestly. I'd much rather look at open interest. And 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 one thing that you could look at is even like, let's say prices, and it doesn't have to be just this example of moving up because the opposite would be the case if it was moving down, right? It would just be the inverse of this example. But let's say price was making higher highs and higher lows, right? So it's a strong trend. Um, there's been no real detachment from the trend in open interest. They're pretty much following each other, right? As the market's moving up, open interest is going up. It's healthy. It's more or less at parity. Let's say that you put in something that looks like maybe a slightly higher high. It looks like momentum is beginning to dry up. There are times when the traps are really obvious and you'll see like maybe, and this is just an example, maybe the higher high was two, 3% above the prior high, but the change in open interest was like multiples of that. So you have a marginally higher high, it's like 2%. And then meanwhile, if you look at the change in open interest, it went up, you know, 8%. It went up 10%. It's like, okay, so for a 2% change in price, we had a five-fold increase in open interest. Like someone just got into the market pretty heavy here, and they're definitely going to be offsides. And you could probably assume that if the market is having trouble that and funding is going up, and you know, look for signs of absorption also, that longs are about to get squeezed, right? We're going to have some type of pullback. Um, so I don't, yeah, I, I just look at open interest, and I make assumptions about leverage because, you know, you're going to have more contracts on futures exchanges. The notional values will be higher due to people having access to leverage. Um, and it's not that like, oh, people, uh, you know, because they're using leverage, like it, you know, it should be, it should lead them to doing, you know, this or that. It's, it's that with leverage, you have, um, what's it called? Path dependency, right? You know that when you're in a leverage position, you know, when people are in a leverage position that it is path dependent, like you can't let it move against you a certain amount. So the, the moves that result from large increases in open interest, we know they're violent because of that, right? Because you're a forced buyer, you're a forced seller, depending on what side of the market we're talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. And um, what, like, what kind of chart are you looking at? I, I guess I could use Coinalyze, but are you looking at like a five and a 15 minute on when you're doing this kind of analysis? Yeah, I'm looking at a lower time frame chart. I mean, okay. listen, you could, it, it, might, it might be something that shows up on a much higher time frame chart. But in terms of like me focusing on lower time frame trading or intraday trading, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm breaking it down. And I mean, my coinalized chart right now is on a five minute setting. Uh, and earlier this morning, I mean, at the most I would go is probably like a 15 minute. Um, but I mean, like I said, you could pick, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is, you could pick this up on, it could show up on a four hour chart. It could show up on a, in a daily range, right? On a, on a daily chart. This was similar to like last summer. Last summer, when we had that range, we were moving lower and open interest had like open interest had made much more of a change than price did. Um, and usually it's what I what happens at like uh, at lows before squeezes is you'll see that the velocity of open interest, there's a drastic change. So that's usually like after a move down, you know, violent move down, when you start to consolidate then you'll start to see like, oh, open interest really increased a lot already at like well after the move, like someone clearly just panic sold and, you know, could potentially be fuel uh, if we start reversing on them. And, and this actually happened all the way. This happened a few times um, in the weeks leading up to this breakdown. Uh, this was um, during uh, 
this was during the beginning of May, where we had a bunch of squeezes that resulted with, you know, this basically this kind of setup where you had price breakdown and then someone got involved really late and it was really obvious because open interest had increased massively after the move had already occurred. So, and yeah, it's just, I'm looking at Coinalize. I look at um, ExoCharts as well. I use ExoCharts, I use Coinalize. Uh, so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. That's super helpful. Thank you. Of course, man. Good talking to you, Dwight. All right, so we're going on an hour. Uh, I'll probably wrap it up unless someone else wants to hop on. I don't want to take too long on Friday. Um, let me see. Uh, there is a question, so let me see because I'm starting to pay attention to the chat. I wasn't aware of it for the first few streams, first few call-ins. Um, so Rojo, so your question, I think I probably answered it to some degree. We could start making assumptions if we look at things like Delta, if we look at basis, if we look at funding. Um, you know, funding is a is a derivative of basis. So, you know, when you're funding can be positive because derivatives are more aggressive or because spot is selling harder. Either way, it doesn't mean good. You know, it's not good for the long side of things. Um, but if you're looking at a change in open interest and you see that there's that similar, you know, complementary change in, in funding, you could start to make a case for, you know, if, if funding has gone up, pretty significantly and has gotten hotter and during that and it's really good when this occurs during ranges because then you could make much more of a case for being one side or the other um you know price moving sideways during that period while price is moving sideways overall funding has gone up and open interest has gone up you can start to make assumptions about what side of the market this came from and this is like the inverse is clearly when we're looking for bottoms to develop and, you know, uh, we look for negative funding and we look for open interest to go up from late shorts. The problem is when you pay attention too soon after a significant move. So, for example, like people, the funding, negative funding has been kind of a meme, um, but people pay attention to it way too early. Like for one, in really strong trends, negative funding and positive funding, whether it's a bull trend or a bear trend for, you know, bull trend for positive funding, negative funding for a bear trend, it can, it can persist because all it means is that the trade that's taking place, whether it's a uptrend or a downtrend, is really in demand. Like gaining le leverage exposure to that side is in demand. And during a bull market, longs are in demand. Um, it doesn't mean that the market has to reverse. It just means that if you want exposure, you have to pay a premium for it. So I mostly find funding is actionable when the market's moving sideways because it's saying, all right, there is this one-sided activity, but the market's not going anywhere. So it's, it's an indication of a trap. If you look at funding at the beginning of a move, it's, 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 um, it's deceiving, right? So if you look at funding right after a significant low is made, so for example, the 12th of May, um, you're going to see negative funding because the markets are really thin. So funding is going to chop around because it's going to be really difficult to keep the index price and the, the, the derivative price in line. So to keep the oracles, the underlying spot prices, in line with the derivative price. Because things are thin, keeping the books in line, keeping the price tethered is really difficult. Right? You have market makers, you have the funding me mechanism, which is an incentive. Um, so the first move is always going to throw it off. And, and conditions being thinner are going to make funding like less of a useful tool to begin with. Uh, but yeah, funding is one way. Basis is one way. Delta is one way. Um, CVD is one way uh, that you could begin to sort of pair CVD, you know, Delta funding with open interest observations to make a case for one side, you know, maybe getting trapped or 
getting in poor position uh, and tagging on the most risk. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up, though. I don't think anyone else is uh, trying to hop on. Uh, I appreciate all you guys for stopping in again. I mean, I'm actually really just start uh, really starting to enjoy these. And I'm like, I- I'm uh, pretty, I'm hyper aware of everything that I do. So I'm always aware of like when I repeat words and when I <laughs> cling to phrases and, you know, the, it comes back to like doing streams, doing call-ins uh, and having a, letting long periods of time pass where you're just talking to yourself. At first it's kind of uncomfortable. Um, I never, as a kid had stage fright. I've always like really enjoyed talking in public and talking in front of, of large amounts of people, but it's weird when you're talking to a phone and you're kind of like trying to keep a flow and, and touch on certain points. And, um, as I've done more of these, I see that you guys have been more active and there's been a uh, more attendance overall. And that's a feedback mechanism, right? I mean, th- there's a certain amount of reflexivity that comes with that that when you have more people showing up, it makes you want to do it more. And uh, yeah, so I don't want to ramble. I don't want to keep you just saying that I do appreciate you. (laughs) Everyone have a great weekend. Uh, Don't die out there. That's the most important thing. Don't die in the market. If you die in real life, you won't have to worry about the market, but knock on wood, just fucking around. Um, Yeah. Next Tuesday, same time after the stream streams at 1 p.m., Call it is like 2.30. I've decided like 2.30 is good because I need like a 15-minute break after the stream. Uh, And yeah, everyone have a fantastic weekend. I will talk to you soon. Stay healthy. Have fun. Touch grass. And, you know, don't bother with the markets weekend. Adios.